Welcome to the new year here at the Ridge. It's good to see you. My name is Jerry. Um, if you're new with us today, it's a pleasure to meet you and uh, welcome. It's always a joy to have, have new people, so we're glad that you're here. Um, if you haven't had a, a moment yet, maybe now's a good time to pull out the guest card in front of you there. We'd love for you to fill that out. We simply want to be neighborly back to you and tell you thank you for joining us uh, today. Uh, David mentioned the excitement over uh, 80, over 80,000 coming in and uh, for Advent giving, and so just um, want to thank you for that, just your faithfulness, uh, your uncommon generosity, and um, some 30,000 of that is, is already uh, on checks that are going to be sent to Serbia, France, Guadalajara, Papua New Guinea, um, places locally as well to extend the work of the gospel. And so um, thank you for your generosity. Um, words that, that Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church just, I think, ring loud from this congregation, uh, that you are a people that has experienced the grace of God and you're extending that practically. Um, and so thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. Uh, men, First Tuesday, David mentioned that as well. Um, we'll see you at 6.30 Tuesday nights. Once a month we get together. We're relaunching that this new year, so love to see you Tuesday night and uh, hang with you for an hour and a half. Um, today, as we look at Isaiah 43, I, I want us, if we could, think of a, a time or maybe those times in our life where we've, we've stood before something or we've experienced something that caused a great wonder or this feeling of thrill and excitement that maybe if we were to, to, to think of that way this morning, that, that it, it, it still is, is afresh in our mind, even if it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, but what is something that we've experienced that has caused great wonder? I, I know for me, I can think of a few. I just can name them off real quick. Derek's going to raise his hand. You want to tell me afterwards, or you think of something <laughs> this morning? Derek's like, hey, I want to tell you. Uh, that's great. I love that. Uh, but, but here's the deal. Uh, when, uh, things that I think of is, is first, my wife and I, uh, my stepdad, uh, gifted us a trip to Kauai when we first got married. And so it, it, was, it was, the whole island was a great wonder. But I remember standing before this, this canyon called the Wamea Canyon. And to this day, I remember standing there with my, my new bride, Annette, and, and we're just, we were in wonder of just the great scene of this canyon that just blows you away. I remember flying from Mubasa, Africa to Nairobi on this little puddle jumper, and uh, with fear, we just sung about fear, fear of, are we going to make it, because this thing was struggling along, but at the same time, wonder over the terrain of Mount Kilimanjaro on one side and, and the beautiful terrain um, of kind of the national forest that is there. And it's just beautiful, uh, amazing. Um, I, I also remember standing with my brother on a mission trip in Peru. And we were at the southern tip of the Andes Mountains in this village of about 2,000 people. And we were about eight, 9,000 feet up. And right out our window of this little hostel that we were staying in, was the Whitewash Mountains, which is the southern tip of the Andes, and just the breathtaking view of mountains, snow-capped, that were unbelievable. Uh, things like that still stir in me when I think of it. I remember standing in a church like this and on um, April 22nd of the year 2000, and uh, a young lady coming out of the back doors and walking toward me at my wedding, and that great wonder still sticks. 
And the wonder of the firstborn in 2000 to the wonder of 2002 and then 2008 and then in 2012 adoption of my kids just saying, wow, these are mine that you've given me to care for. The wonder of birth and children. I mean, we, we stand in awe of, of moments like that. My youngest right now, Eliana, she, she's still in wonder over Christmas. Still. I mean, it's lingering and, and, and almost full force lingering. When Christmas started, when she saw her first Christmas lights, she started saying, Daddy, it's Christmas. And I'm like, yes, it's not just Christmas lights. Anytime there's Christmas lights around, it means it's Christmas to her. So much so that she'll, she, she would look at me all the way leading up to Christmas Day. She would say, Dad, is this Christmas Day? And I'm like, no. And she, she'd look at me and she'd go, no, no, it's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Wherever we were at, and there were Christmas lights or Christmas trees. It was Christmas. And I thought, oh, this, this, is, this is exciting. She's never been like this. She's only three. So she, she's, she's excited beyond just anyone else in our family, I think. And, and so I thought, okay, Christmas Day is going to be the apex it, it was cool. It was cool to her, but, but I realized even after Christmas, we went and saw some lights as well, that to her, just the whole idea of Christmas is amazing to her. I mean, she just is, is, is filled with wonder, so much so that her night-night songs are, have been replaced with Jingle Bell Rock and White Christmas. Like Nat King Cole, her, her me and Nat King Cole and her mom are hanging out at bedtime a lot lately. I mean, just... Christmas is just a wonder to her. We'll see how long this, this lingers because it's still going, still going. Uh, but there's things that cause great wonder, right? Things that we can remember, things that we see, things that we've experienced. But one of the things I want us to think about this morning, two questions I want to pose is this. Do we have great wonder in awe of God? I mean, the things that I just mentioned that I've stood in wonder at, do I stand in such wonder over God like I do those things? And the second question is, what do we do with that wonder? What do we do with that amazement, that thrill of God? What do we do with it? Because I think that's what the text causes us to, to deal with this morning is, is those two things. Do we have a great wonder for God and then it answers, what do we do with that? And here's how it answers it. it. It basically, the text is calling us to have a thrill and a wonder over God, but to have that wonder turn into witness. To have that great thrill turn into you and I testifying of who he is. To have this, this great awe turn into you and I being ambassadors. This great excitement turning you and I to be great exalters of God. That's the goal of the text today. And so what I want us to do is, is first see something that just jumps off the pages, or it should. And it does not only here, but in the whole book of Isaiah, we, we hear it from page to page. And, and so look at the text. Look at verse 10 of chapter 43. And let me just read to you some of it here. Um, he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Now, we're going to look at, at what that means in a second, but I want you to really look. Look what he says at the end of verse 10 down to verse 13. Uh, 13. 
Because what we see here is, is God thrilled with being God. And you've got to get, we've got to get that. God is in awe of himself. And, and there's nobody else on this planet, in the universe, that is supposed to do that, right? But he's supposed to. If he doesn't, if he doesn't see himself and stand in wonder and awe of him being the highest of all and the supreme of all, then he's an idolater, right? And we don't want a God who's an idolater. That means someone's above him. He is God, and he is thrilled with that. He's in great wonder of that, and he wants us to know that, and he wants us to share that thrill and that wonder. That's his goal. And so look what he says right here in verse 10. He says, before me there was no God formed. And there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There's no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God, even from eternity. I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act who can reverse it. Now, those are powerful words. And even when Eric was, was reading it, you, you get stirred up. Amen. All right? I mean, it caused a stirring in us when we hear that about our God. That's who he is, and there is no other. He's thrilled about how, who he is. If you look at Isaiah 42, 8, just on the other side of the page, chapter 42, what does it say? He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, there is no other. Basically what he's saying, period, that's it. Let's move on now, right? And that's the end of the discussion. There's nothing to discuss. That's who he is. And Isaiah 44, page to the right, Verse 6, listen to what the Lord says. He says, uh, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the redeemer, the Lord of hosts. He says, I am the first. I am the last. There is no God besides me. And so throughout Isaiah, it rings of God exalting himself and who he is. He's, he's thrilled. He's excited about who he is. And here's what God does. He says throughout, I am God. He, we see it here this morning. I am he. But he explains a little bit. Okay, what, what is that? What does that mean? That he is God. So there's six things I want us to see in this text. And, and they're important to us and what we're supposed to be witnesses about. So look at verse 13. Drop down a little bit. I'm going to do some jumping around here. Look at verse 13. He says this. He says, even from eternity, I am am he. Teach you a little bit this morning on this idea of I am he. That phrase right there, if, if you remember way back in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, you have Moses standing before the, this burning bush, right? And, and God is revealing himself to Moses. And you remember what God reveals himself as to Moses? He, he simply said something real simple. He said, I am. He says, I am who I am. That's, that's who God reveals himself to Moses. And so simply what God is doing here, first and number one this morning, I want us to see about himself, is he's talking about his existence. And he's saying, I'm God. That, that's who I am. I am who I am. That's who God is. He is, I am. And so he's declaring to us, to Israel in this text specifically, but to us this morning, he is. He always has been. And he always will be. That's who God is. The second thing I want us to see is, is his sovereignty, that he's sovereign over all things. Um, look at verse 
13 again, it says, there's none who can deliver out of my hand, meaning there's no one who can oppose God. And then it says, I act, who can reverse it? It it reminds me of another text in Psalms where God says this, I I do what I do, I, I do whatever I please. That's what God does. He's sovereign. In fact, listen to to these verses real quick. Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. They'll be up on the screen or you can turn to the right to see them. It says, I am the Lord, there's no other. So he kind of just wants you to get this, right? He wants me and I to get this, you and I to get this. He says, besides me, there is no God. He says, I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, there's no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. That might stir a little tension in here this morning. I am the Lord who does all these And so here's what God is doing from chapter 43, even right here in 45. He's saying, I'm God. There's none beside me. I think we get that this morning. But then he speaks of what that means. We just saw that he existed. He is who he is. And here it's his sovereignty, that he has absolute, complete sovereignty over everything. Meaning this, that he allows and he causes all that is good, And even right here, it says even calamities. If you want to look at this a little bit more later, we're not going to dive too much deep into this this morning, but if you look at this a little bit later, you go to Job 1 and 2, and you see Job just getting this, getting this. Struggling? Yeah, struggling definitely, but getting it. As Job is walking through suffering beyond suffering, suffering that, that is totally beyond what we could ever imagine, and yet through it, what does Job say? Whether God gives or what he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, God doesn't cause moral evil. We know that. We get that. But he, he allows it. He allows it. Sin has, has obviously, since the fall, come and corrupted the world. We, we, we see in places like Romans 8 that creation is groaning, groaning. But we hear the promise. We hear the hope where God says he works all things out for his good even in calamity, even in sickness, even in times where we sit back and we just don't get it. Why, God? Why are you allowing this? God is still working. God is still moving. And I think the ultimate goal is this, when you step back from even verses like that where it says that he even allows and causes calamity, what's the goal of God declaring that? I I think he's saying this, stand in awe. Fear and tremble before me because of who he is. He is all powerful. He is all sovereign. Without sovereignty, there is no true God. And here God is saying, I'm sovereign. I'm God. It's to cause us to stand in wonder. Then look at verse 10. He says this, that he is God alone. Um, It's the third thing. He says, um, the end of verse 10, before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. He alone is God. The fourth thing is this, he is eternal. In verse 13, at the very uh, beginning, he says, even from eternity, I am he, meaning he's always been. He wasn't created like you and I. I think even at Christmas time, there's, there's even, we, some, some will maybe get confused about, okay, well then that's when Jesus um, was 
we'll say born, but really it's when he came, right? It's when he became human. He took on a second nature, humanity. But Jesus has always been. He's always been. In fact, he is creator. Um, we see even in places in like Genesis chapter 1 where you see a, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we've got to remember that God is eternal, that the Father is eternal, that Jesus is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. We even see that the very beginning of the Bible uh, where God is present has always been and so he is eternal. In fact, Moses ascribed these words to God saying in Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth, um, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Basically what Moses is saying, before anything was, you have always been and you always will be. And that's who God is. He's eternal. So that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing in this text this morning that we see is in verse 12 is simply this, that God has spoken. He, he is revealed. And here he reveals with, with, with specifically words. And look at verse 12. It says, at the very end, he declares this, I am God. <laughs> Just in simple words, he says, this is who I am. I am God. And that's huge that God has spoken. And how do we see in the New Testament that God has spoken? In John chapter 1, we hear uh, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, those ringing, maybe familiar with some of you guys this morning, and then in verse 14 it says, and the Word dwelt became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. And so who is Jesus? He is the revealed, spoken Word of God in flesh. In fact, in verse 18 of John 1, it says that Jesus has come to explain God to you and I. That's why Jesus came. He became human flesh. He dwelt among us as the spoken word of God in flesh. And so God has spoken. He has spoken. And then look at ver uh, the sixth and final thing that I want us to see about how God is explaining his deity here this morning. He says in verse 11 through 12, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. Now he's talking to the Israelites here. The Israelites were very familiar with God's saving act. Remember just like the song we just sung about I'm no longer a, a slave to fear that you uh, uh, split the sea so I could walk right through it. And that's what God did for the Israelites. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. And God did that. God split the seas so they could walk on dry land right through it and then cause the waves to come back over and crash over the Egyptians. God rescued them. He saved them. And so he is Savior. And we see today that he is Savior and he is, through his son Jesus Christ, saved us from our sins. That's why Jesus came. And so that's who God is. So God says this, this is who I am. We see six things here. And basically what God is saying as we see in this text, he says, I'm thrilled about these things. I'm in wonder about these things. But it doesn't just stop there. He, he, he doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 10. Look at this. He says to us, he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You are my servant. And then he says, whom I have chosen. So here's God. He, he's saying, this is who I am. And in all of who I am, I am choosing you. And specifically here, he's saying to the Israelites, I have chosen you to be my 
chosen people. We see that in places like uh, Genesis chapter 12 and in other places where he has set apart Israel to be the representation of himself, the instrument, the tool that God would use to declare his name to the nations. And so God is saying, I have chose you. You didn't choose me, right? I mean, that's everybody's story in here that, that, that can say and sing along that I am a child of God. Your story is, I didn't choose God, he chose me. I didn't love God first, he loved me first. And that's how God works. He draws us to himself. It's a great mystery of how he does it through his spirit. That's what he does. And so he says right here, I, I chose you to be in wonder and thrill of me, of God. That's what he's saying. And so how does that look? Look at the text, look at verse 10. He says, so I chose you so that you may know me, that you may believe me, and that you may understand that I am God. This idea of knowing, what does it mean? It's not just mere intellectual knowledge. I mean, God hadn't called us just to gain a lot of facts about who he is. The goal of this morning isn't just to walk away and say, okay, well, I get Isaiah 43.10, and I just, man, I know what it says. And it, it's beyond that. It's, it's so that you would know God, he's declaring himself here. God wants you to know him personally, not just about him. And so he says, I want you to know me and to continue to grow in that knowledge of who I am more and more because the depths of who God is is amazing. And he wants us to continue to uncover that. And so this isn't just a one-shot deal. Okay, I know God, I get to know him, all right? Good to meet you, God, and then just kind of move on with our life. No, this is uncovering more and more of who he is so that ultimately we would become like him more and more. Think of this, in, in Philippians chapter three, verse 10, the apostle Paul echoes these words. He says about Jesus, he says, that I may know him. So first, that I may know Jesus, that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death. Paul is saying this 30 years after coming to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Isn't that cool? Now, this isn't just fresh out of the gates and walking with Jesus, I want to know you language. This is after 30 years, I want to know you more, Jesus. I want to know the power of your resurrection even more and even your sufferings. So Paul was saying, I want to intimately know Christ. I want to have a growing relationship with Jesus. I pray this new year, I pray that this is your heart. I sat with my family the other night over dinner and I, I shared this verse with them. I said, hey, listen, guys, if there's one priority for this year for us, it's this, that we would know him, believe him, and understand him, guys. That's, that's it, that's it. And so that we would grow in knowledge of him. That's, that's my heartbeat for you. Because as we grow in knowing him more in depths of who he is, the power of his resurrection, even understanding that our suffering is just a taste of his suffering and a taste of, of the goal of, of what he has in mind that we would conform even to his death, that, meaning that, hey, we would die to ourselves so that we would live more and more to Christ. And that's the goal. That's the goal of knowing him. The second thing he says right here is believe me. This is the, the, the entry into Christian life, right? We, we, saved, we, we sung about it earlier. We were saved by grace. As we're singing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We're, we're saved by grace through what? Through faith. And that we would grow in that faith. That we would believe who God says he is. We would trust him. 
and that that faith would grow. And then the third thing, that we would understand more of who God is. And this happens as, as we're knowing and believing, we're understanding more, we're perceiving more. And we're not just left up to perceptions and circumstances. No, we're left up to understanding of what God is doing and how he's working so that we can understand even the times we live in, that we're not driven by circumstances, but we're driven instead by the will and the purposes of God. That's what happens when we start understanding. And so God wants us to understand And so he wants us, as we step back, we look at this text, what's his purpose for us? He wants us to be amazed at who he is, thrilled at who he is, so much so that we would grow in knowing, believing, and understanding, so that we would even be more thrilled with the ultimate goal, so that we would worship him, that we would honor him for who he is, and ultimately that that great wonder and that great thrill would turn into witness. I want you to hear that again this morning, that that great wonder, that great awe would turn into witness. And so what does that mean? It it, it doesn't mean that we just kind of bottle up this idea of, yeah, this is who God is, and he's great to me. He's eternal, and he's awesome, and and there's none like him. He has saved me. We don't just bottle that up for some individualistic thing and some just me and him thing. Hear the text, verse 10. He says, you are my witness, meaning this, that you and I are to testify, make known, stand before a world and say, this is who God is, in word and deed. And that's what he says in verse 10. He says, you are my witness, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And what a precious thing that is this morning. What a What a thing to treasure and value, to to hear that God says, I've chosen you. I've chosen you. I've I've called you out. I've set you apart, you, to be a witness, to be a servant. I would do this this morning. I would would take those two words and, and just make really one word out of them and say that God has called us to be a servant witness. That's his call for us. I think we see that throughout the Old Testament. That's what he did with Moses. He called Moses out to be a servant witness. He called David out to be a servant witness. He called the likes of Joseph to be a servant witness. He called the people of Israel, I want you to be my servant witness. What does that mean? It means this. A servant in Old Testament language is one that that is taken and purchased. One that's redeemed out of bondage. And and now, has a Lord, has a master. And here, this language here is amazing. And what God is saying is, man, treasure this as as a great joy that you are my servant witness, that I have redeemed you. I've purchased you as my people, as my possession is what God is saying, and I'm Lord and master over you. And so that's who Israel was to be, and that's who you and I are called to be as his people. In fact, This language is very similar. If you transition into the New Testament, you think of Acts 1-8. What does Jesus say? He's sitting with his 12 disciples, right? They're hanging out, and he's talking to them. At this point, actually, it's 11 in Acts 1-8, and he's sharing with them, and he says, I have given you power. I have given it to you when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Same language, right? Isaiah 43, Acts 1, you are my witnesses. God has set apart Israel. Yes, he did that. But now what we see, Jesus says, 
I've set apart you. And what he's saying is God is doing a great work, making his people the evidence of what? His deity. That's what he's doing. God's making a people, the church, the evidence of his deity. And he's saying, I want you to witness to who I am. You think about the disciples. They had witnessed that for what? About 30 years at this point, maybe, when he says this to them? Or not 33, excuse me. I'm thinking back to Paul. Yeah, three years. The disciples are with Jesus for three years, and they're learning about him. They're, they're understanding who he is. They see his works, and he says to them, go and witness of me, of who I am and what I've done, and that I am what? What was the confession of the church? That I am Lord and Savior. That's who Jesus is. And that's what they went and did. And that's our call. Our call is to testify to the things that we've seen this morning, to be that service, servant witness who is in great wonder of God being God, of God being eternal, of God being God alone, of God being Savior, of God being sovereign, that we would testify to that and that he has come and spoken in his son Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. And so that's really our focus this year. As we begin this new year, our heart's desire from myself to the elders to the staff, our desire is this, is that we would be Jesus' witnesses, real simply, that we would witness of him, that we would be such in, in, in mind-blowing wonder of who he is, that it would overflow into us truly being his witnesses. And this year, we've, we've tried to sum it up for the next year or so in, in one word and simply eyewitness. Not to be catchy, not to be a catchy phrase, but to sum up the best we could just in one word, that you and I are called to be Jesus' witnesses. That's what we're called to be, to witness of who he is. From our home, it begins there that we would witness to our kiddos, that our kiddos would know through us, dads and moms, that God, number one, that he exists, right? That he's eternal, that he's savior, that they would see in you and I that God is sovereign and that they would see that we have that kind of hope in him. From our home, to our neighbors, to our places of work, to even foreign lands. That when some of the list of mission trips, some have been put out and they continue to come out, when we travel to France, Serbia, places like Guadalajara, that you would begin even praying and saying, Lord, what would you have me do? You and I are to be witnesses he says in Jerusalem, our home base, right? Our sphere of influence, right where we're at, right where God has us, to Judea. That might mean 20 minutes to our workplace, to the uttermost parts of the world. God has called us to be his witnesses. And that's our purpose as a church here at the Ridge, is to be disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. That's what he called us to do. He set us apart as a church to be that. And so the next couple of years, we want to hone in on this this morning, as our vision compass, that we would desire to be the witnesses of Christ. Think about Christ for a second. As we begin to wrap up, I want you to think about this. He summed up his mission in, in one verse. In Luke 19.10, he, he says this. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's why he came. He came and he accomplished that mission through 
coming and engaging with and dwelling among this dark and rebellious world and eventually being obedient to the Father to the point of even death on a cross so that you and I could be saved. That's why he came. And then he says this in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus says to his disciples sitting around, and these are words I want you to hear for yourself this morning as well. He says, as the Father has sent me. So think about all that the Father has done in sending Jesus. He says, so have I sent you. And I want you as a believer in here this morning, hear those words to you and to me this morning. So have I sent you. As Jesus has come to be witness of the Father, so have we come, according to what Christ says, to be witness of him. And we're to share good news. We're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that God wants to know you. He wants to know me. He wants to know your neighbor. He wants to know the one at work that maybe is hard to get to know and the one at work that's maybe you don't want to know. God wants to know them, and he wants to let that be known through you and I. You see, the gospel is that God has sent his son, so those who have never seen the light and the glory of the good news of Jesus Christ, that they would see it. And they would see it, obviously, in Jesus, that we would point to that, that Jesus came to save people from their sin and to grant people forgiveness and eternal life if they would turn and trust in him. And you and I are to hold that hope out, that people would have their lives turned around and changed, that they would be converted. I love this quote by Richard Peace, and it's worth our time this morning. Look what it says. He says, in the end, this is what evangelism is all about. Evangelism is, is declaring good news. It's telling people about Jesus. It's witnessing of Jesus. He says, it's conversion to Jesus. That's what it's about. He says, it is about discovering who Jesus really is, even as we discover who we really are. Isn't that what happens when we come to know Jesus? He says, it is about deciding to stop living in destructive, unfulfilling ways and instead turn around and start following Jesus as we pursue wholeness. Conversion is the word we use to describe the experience of turning around and following Jesus. And real simply this morning, that's our heartbeat. That's what we're talking about. We want to see people's lives turned around and change not just bottle this thing up, this great wonder up for ourselves, but to see lives impacted so that they would turn around and have their lives changed. And so here this morning, God is saying, Jesus is saying, you are my witnesses. And so I want to encourage you practically today. Walk away today and begin in here today praying. Start praying and asking the Lord, Lord, help me truly to be that. Help me to be your witness. Help me to have a heart that wants to honor you in everything I do, in word and deed, that I would speak of the things that we've heard this morning through my life. And second, that I would have a love for people who need to turn and follow Jesus. I think one of the things, if we're, if we're honest, if we were to sit over coffee or something and just be honest, at the end of the day, why do we struggle with um, being the witnesses of Christ that, that maybe, maybe we're struggling with sharing the gospel and testifying with words. Um, a lot of times it's fear. Um, that there's one thing that drives out fear. Obviously, Christ does that through his spirit, but I think the one word that I think of this morning that drives out fear is love. And then if God would, would grow in us a love for people, 
and that that love would overcome and conquer any fear that we might have, whether it's fear of what people might think of us if we say something. And, and to be honest with you, um, man, a lot of times people feel loved when you share something so good with them and that you're willing to take time with them. Usually they seem agitated or frustrated because they're busy and on to something. A lot of times it's not necessarily you taking the time to say something, but we're afraid of that. But I pray that love would grow in our hearts so much that we would want to truly witness of Jesus to people. I think that's huge. And then third and final, that we would pray for those people, that we would pray for people that don't know Christ by name, and that we would pray that they would turn their lives around and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior because that is the greatest thing for them. And so we would start praying for our neighbors. David mentioned, you saw a video earlier, pray for every home. Um, man, I want to encourage you to go and, and sign up. Um, next week, you're going to begin to uh, be able to commit to that. When you, after you sign up online, you'll be able to come, and, and, we're going to, and we have a cross out there that's going to be up and everything, and we're going to sign that as a, as a family of God. We're just going to be saying, hey, God, this is our commitment. We want to begin praying for people and, and praying that God would cause them to turn and follow him. And so this morning, I think that's where we begin. We begin, begin praying. If you think about the disciples in Acts 1, and we're going to journey through Acts over the next few weeks and months, and as we do, I want you to see the disciples, two things that they were committed to and consistent with is they prayed and obeyed, prayed and obeyed. When Jesus said, you're my witnesses, man, they, they prayed about it and they obeyed it. They prayed it about it and they obeyed it. That's what they did. And so, John, if you'll come up, uh, I want you to hear this last verse. Jesus has been testified in, in Acts and the disciples have begun to obey and, and, and pray and obey and, and the Holy Spirit has come and empowered them. And I want you to hear this verse. They are praying, the disciples are praying this. And I want you to hear what they pray. They say, now Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants. And so context, there's threats coming against the disciples. And they call themselves bond servants. So that's really servant witness. That's what they are. And he says, Grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed and they obeyed. They took serious the words of Christ, saying, you are my witnesses. And they were, they were. I pray this year, that's what we would be, truly Jesus' witnesses, because there are people who are lost. There are people lost needing to be found. And we need to show them who Jesus is. Let's pray.